There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Well, hello, Australia. Welcome to My Millennial Money. Today on the show, we're doing a live case study by live. I mean, we're just talking about it on the spot. And John isn't with me today because he's in regional Victoria. He got away from the Sydney Central Coast lockdown. So I've managed to get Vince Scully on the line from Life Sherpa. G'day, Vince. How are you? G'day, Glenn. And how's the coast? Mate, it is good. And we're recording this on Saturday morning, the 3rd of July. And you know what? I don't usually set an alarm, right? And you wanted to do it at 11 a.m. So I'm like, all right, I better get up and, you know, get functional. I snoozed. I set my alarm and I rarely do. And I snoozed for over an hour. Wow. I know. So if you've ever snoozed for over an hour, what up? You're my people. So I need to set my uh, my new Echo Dot to Alexa, Wake Glenn. Yes, but you probably shouldn't say that on the podcast because people will write in and say that you've, <laughs> you've messed with our... Uh, set up. But uh, hey, we're going to have a lot of fun on this chat today. Vince, you ready to have a, a talk about these case studies? I always have fun on the potty. So I've got an email and if you want to send your questions in or case studies, keep them short. Don't send me 15 paragraphs. You can do it to questions at mymillennial.money. So this is from Joe. I wanted to reach out and see what your advice would be for the next steps of my financial journey. I'm 26 year old and I work as guest services team leader at Movie World. My annual income is 45 to 52 on average as I work part time. So 52, 52 part time is pretty good. I know, it sounds pretty good life. What are your thoughts? Trading stocks is my bread and butter. I spend all my available time reading and learning as much as I can and have found a huge passion for this. I would like to try my hand at something new, but I wanted to see if you were in my position, what would your next steps be? My goal is to generate some sort of passive income, be it through autonomous income via online business. And just on a sidebar to that, Vince, I don't actually think there's 100% passive income. That is oh, I don't think there's anything, <laughs> such, any such thing as passive income. Or possibly bricklets. I'm not really sure where to go from here. I started my financial journey $4,000 in debt. After a couple of years of grinding and studying, my finances are now looking much better. So, Joe's had a bit of a transformation, Vince, from $4,000 in debt. He's got a $100,000 freaking portfolio. At 26. At 26. Making 50 grand a year. Making 50 grand a year. We, we need to get this guy on the potty. I know. And I- what girl? Cool. Is Joe a girl? I think it's J-O-E, so it's a guy. Oh, okay. And I emailed him back and I said, I just want to confirm your living arrangements because it's all well and good to- you know, Must be sleeping at the back of the movie theatre. Yeah, so basically he's on the soundstage three at Movie World. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, he said he's living in a share house at the moment, but that could change. Sharing with $4,000? I guess, yeah. So let's go through his portfolio. Uh, he's got $20,000 of the 100000 
uh, in physical gold. This is kept at a vault with Gold Bullion Australia. Where where do they keep the vault bins? I think it's in Perth. Right. On the Perth Mint side or? Uh, well, Perth Mint is a big player in this. I'm not quite sure about Gold mm. Bullion Australia. Wild. But $20,000 of gold doesn't take up much room. No. I could put it in my pocket. Yeah. It's amazing, isn't it? He's got 10,000 in cryptocurrencies, 40,000 in stocks. So he's got Zipco, Ardent Leisure, Kogan, but he wants to change to more value investing like Coke and Heinz. Ardent Leisure is a bit close to home if you work at Movie World, isn't it? That's right. So putting all your eggs in the one basket. I thought Ardent Leisure only owned Dreamworld and Movie World is the different. I think you're probably right. Yeah. Um, But but it is still. Not what you'd call a diversified portfolio. Exactly. We can get into that. So that's um, 70,000, gold, crypto, and stocks. And he's got 30 grand in cash. He's got 10 grand in an emergency fund. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got 10,000 in a NAB trade account waiting for investment opportunities. Ooh. Sounds sexy. And he's got 10 grand that he's not sure what to do with. So maybe spend it? Why not? So, Vince. 26-year-old, like, do you have any high-level observations on this case study? I think this guy's doing great, you know, 26, 100 grand. Um, that's probably more than most 35-year-olds. So, Joe, you're doing well, and to go from minus four to plus 100 in- A handful you, of years. A handful of years. We don't know how long. Um, that's well done, mate. I guess my- Biggest comment here is your statement that says trading stocks is my bread and butter. Um, I would have thought that showing people around movie world is your bread and butter, <laughs> and that um, maybe that's his trading stocks is his passion. Maybe it's dessert. Yeah, um, bread and bread and butter pudding maybe. And um, so, you know, investing isn't supposed to be fun. Mm. If your goal is to get a return on your investment, then if you want it to be fun, go to the casino. Mm. If you want it to actually be a positive experience, then um, good investing is is boring. Yeah. If it's exciting, you're doing it wrong. Um, and, of course, all the research says that people who – the more you trade, the worse you do, generally. That's not to say that some people don't make a lot of money trading, but it does take – dedication, focus, and a decent stash. So I would generally discourage people from thinking they can outsmart Mr. Market. Well, I just, uh, and for those who haven't heard me talk about this, if you Google Spiva Australia scorecard or Spivy, even- Spivy, Spivy Australia. Isn't it pronounced Spiva? It is Spiva. And you can go to the spglobal.com website and that's Standard & Poor's, it's a big- uh, it's almost like a research house that look at all indexes around the world yep. and have data, right? So, yeah, if you Google Spiva, uh, you go to spglobal.com website and you can look at uh, results by region on clicking Australia. And basically, over the last five years, 18.3% of actively managed ASX 200 funds outperformed the index. 18. 18%. Less than one in five. Yes. So we know with your investing in shares, if you are doing it to, quote unquote, make a return, 
you've got a better chance of buying the ASX 200 index than trying to build your own portfolio. Statistically, is that a fair statement? I mean, there's there's sort of more to those numbers than meets the eye because most big fund managers track reasonably closely to the index because they get appraised and they get their annual bonus based on um, their performance against the index. So the downside for an individual fund manager of underperforming is bigger than the upside of outperforming. So they don't like to take too much risk. And in in order to get a different result, you've got to do something different. So if you are looking to pick an active manager, you will have more success with funds where they have what's called a high active share. That is, they are materially different to the index and that the fund managers have an interest in invested in the fund. Mm. Um, so there is some research that shows that those funds do better than funds generally. But of course, doing something different means sometimes you're going to be different bad and sometimes you're going to be like Aldi, different good. Yeah. And um, can you pick different good in advance? That's the tough one. Okay. So what it means for Joe here- So Joe's at least doing something different. That's right. And he might play this recording back to us in 20 years and go, suck it, guys. I rule. Move over Warren Buffett. Yeah. But of course, in 20 years' time, I'll be lying on a beach somewhere, so I will be past caring I thought you what said Joe you'll thinks. be lying <laughs> in the bottom of a box somewhere. <laughs> no, not quite. Not quite, Glenn. Um, but and I still have more hair than you. That's true. But remember, I shave my hair by choice. Ah, okay. Yeah. Oh, I thought you you just missed your chin. No. <laughs> so, what that means for Joe, you know, and Joe asked, he basically said, wanted to see if you were in my position, what would be your next steps? So at 26, this would be what my next steps would be. Mm-hmm. And we'll return the clock and you can show your next steps, yep. cool. Vince. My next steps would be at a 26-year-old, I would want to be focusing more on generating income mm-hmm. from my time and investing in me first and foremost. Because we know that- It's a beautiful age. We know that if, in terms of market returns, if uh, Joe invested his 40 grand in the stock market, and we'll leave crypto aside for now, and, well, no, stuff it. If he invested the whole hundred in the market, mm-hmm. and he got a 10% return in you know one year on average, yep. that's only 10 grand. Mm-hmm. But if he spent the next couple of years really grinding his career mm-hmm. and building that up- he might be able to get a 30 grand return yeah. from his career. Every year. Every year. And that- Multiply that by 40 years. But that's also not just applicable to a 26-year-old. If you're 52 and listening to this, if you're 40, if you're listening to this, if you're 30, we get sometimes sidetracked by this myth that I'll make my money from the share market. Absolutely. You'll make money from the share market. But for me, when I put money in my share portfolio, it's just parking wealth to grow for future Glenn. And I'm out here doing my business and yeah. and trying to- and, and future Joe's got a lot of future ahead. He does. So in terms of that, Joe, I would be personally setting up a a really good spending plan based on your income. I would want- oh, You to, have one of those handy, don't I you? I do, yeah. <laughs> What's that called, Vince? Oh, sort your money out with Glenn or- Yeah, lifesherpa.com.au. <laughs> uh, so I would make sure you have a really good spending plan 
and I'll be trying to factor in some real world rent into your spending yep. plan. Now, because you will move out of the share house, as you've told me, you will need more money to live. It gets tired eventually. Yeah, it does. The 10 grand that you're not sure what to do with, I'd be throwing that in a separate bank account and going, bam, I've got a new car when I need it with the 10 grand cash. Mm-hmm. That's what I'd be doing. Like I'd be forgetting about that, having that for a car. Or a holiday when the board eventually open. That's right. So in terms of what I'm doing, spending plan, making sure that I factor in real life costs that are coming. I'm looking at, uh, do I need to buy a car with cash at some time in the next few mm-hmm. years? Uh, in terms of the portfolio, the emergency fund, based on your income, it's a it might be a little bit high, but that's all good. You mm-hmm. can have whatever emergency fund you want. In terms of the portfolio, even if we call it 80 grand portfolio, I'm pretty much going to look at some type of diversified, boring, blend portfolio mm-hmm. and go a core satellite approach. And what do I mean oh, by I like that? like a good satellite. Yeah. So, because- I don't want to stifle Joe from buying single stocks because he's got a passion to do that. But what I want to do is to say, maybe you can get a boring diversified portfolio that you can pump with 90% of your wealth that is to be invested. And then with the, you know, the balance of your portfolio, that 10%, then you might decide to get cute with uh, single stocks, with crypto, with gold, because we know one thing with crypto. Yes, you might buy the next one that's going to the moon, but you might also not. And we need to really manage the downside risk. So that's probably my two cents on it. I'm, you know, because you've got 40 grand from what you've told me, probably only between three or four shares. So that's not very diverse. Yeah, I, I think I agree with a lot of that. Oh, which is not often that we... Yeah. we is we there do. a but coming? <laughs> there is a but coming. Okay, here we go. And, you know, starting out, buying some individual shares is a, is actually a good way to understand how markets work and learn what your reaction is. So if you've bought Ardent Leisure, an industry you might know something about, and it does well... What's your reaction to it? Do you think, oh, I'm a legend, I'm the next Warren Buffett? Or if it goes badly, do you go, oh, that was just the market? And we know Ardent Leisure really got a hit with that disaster at Dreamworld in recent years. Yes, it did. Um, COVID wouldn't have helped either. No, it wouldn't. But they probably got lots of JobKeeper. Yeah. But regardless of what the individual stock does, the lessons you can learn from those could actually be worth the price of admission. I wouldn't suggest it as a lifelong... Um, exercise. One of the biggest problems that I see in in our practice, where we where people do have significant holdings in individual shares, is they tend to focus in bursts. So you find there's a flurry of trades, and then nothing happens for nine months, and then there's a flurry of other trades. And if you're not going to focus on it every day, then as an investment, it's probably not a really good idea. As an education tool, yep, I buy that all day. But are we governing the percentage? Yeah. And I think I would, um, yeah, I wouldn't be having that proportion of my total assets in individual shares. But, you know, a little bit of, little bit of knowledge helps. Um, the education is good. Um, but if you, 
unless you're doing this all day, every day, it is pretty hard to consistently do better than a diversified fund, certainly when you adjust it for risk. So realistically, in the approach for Joe, it might be, you know, beta shares have a diversified fund. Yep. Um, Vanguard have diversified funds. Uh, I'm probably not... I think BlackRock have one too. Yeah, uh, but I'm probably not building my own diversified fund of ETFs. Not with 80 grand, no. But I'm, I'm certainly not building my own diversified portfolio of ETFs. Like I'm probably just buying a diversified one, shoveling money into that, and then with that 10% of my allocation. Yeah. I mean, it really comes down to how much time and effort you and focus you're prepared to put into it. Mm. So, yeah, you could build – with 80 grand, you could actually build a five or six ETF diversified portfolio, but you need to rebalance it periodically. You need to um, – But how do you know what asset allocation to track? Well, yes, and – that's the $64 million question. And that comes back to risk, time, horizon, and goal. So my question to Joe would be, well, why are you accumulating this 100 grand? Um, I mean, it's much better than minus four grand. Well, and that's what I mean. Like, <laughs> So what, what are you going to do with it? Yeah, and that's right. And a lot of the time, the fact that Joe, like, he's doing better than people without 100 grand. Yeah. So, so if well he done. does trade and not grow his money as much by the trading mistake because he's saving, he's still doing better than Absolutely. the person who's spending all their money. Yeah. So I spending less than you earn, number one lesson, and Joe gets a big tick for this one. Love it. Let's move on, uh, unless you had any other uh, oh, final I mean, comments. I mean, the only on final that. comment I would make is um, love your allocation to gold. Um, and we might talk gold with a campfire chat yep. next time we do that. Just don't leave it too near the campfire or it'll melt. Giddy up, baby. Uh, anything else? Well, don't get me started on crypto. We can cover that in the campfire chat as well. But I, I really think it's just having those percentages to stop any whoopsies. Yeah. Because, you know, if crypto goes up and you make 100 grand off your 10 grand, guess what? The dopamine's running. You're going to want to go in and try and rinse and repeat. Mm -hmm. And it probably won't happen a second right. time around. So that's why we just need to cap that at 10%. Mm -hmm. If you do have a run- Or 1%. Well, I'm thinking 10% of his portfolio on single stocks, gold and crypto. Mm -hmm. And then within that, he can oh, do okay. his own split. Cool. Um, but then if you do have a run on crypto, take some money off the table, put it into your core portfolio. Mm -hmm. So your core is your diversified fund and your satellites are your gold, your crypto and your, um, I don't know, your NFTs or whatever mm -hmm. you- get off on or something like that. I think that fad has passed, hasn't it? The NFT fad. Yeah, almost, almost. Before we go on to private health insurance, there was a question from Sasha. Sasha. Or Sasha. Hey, mate, love your work. Can you one day do a podcast on ETFs versus investment bond ETFs? I see you can invest with Vanguard directly or invest with Vanguard through an investment bond. What's the differences slash advantages? Now, you know, we're we, tax. Yeah, and we won't do a podcast on this topic, but we will chew the fat for 10 minutes. There's a blog that's out there at the moment. I don't know if you've seen it, but they're comparing an ETF, portfolio of ETFs 
versus a portfolio of investment bonds. And they're saying investment bonds are bad because this portfolio outside of the bond is doing better. It's a slippery slope to cross-compare returns in different tax structures. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, comparing post-tax returns to pre-tax returns without knowing the composition of the inputs is just... It's wildness. Yeah. It's It's like trying to compare super returns to investment returns. Um, generally, taxed returns will outperform when markets in general are falling and potentially underperform when they're rising. But to try and draw broad conclusions um, is pretty hard. Okay. Well, let's do a a kind of um, pop shot or whatever the fast pop quiz thing is. Uh, Let's use a practical example. We know that you can buy Vanguard Diversified Growth Fund uh, in your own name, direct into the market, okay? Either through your open trader, self-wealth, you know, superhero, or through Vanguard Personal Investor, mm-hmm. which is still in your own name. Yeah. So Comsec, net broker. Comsec, all that stuff. You can buy it through your super fund mm-hmm. and you can buy it through an investment bond. So we've basically got three ownership structures. Yeah. We've got- The underlying assets are identical. Um, it's just the tax treatment that differs. And the tax comes with tax benefits or or disadvantages, whichever way you look at it, come with offsetting disadvantages. But so- also the tax is an issue. But one thing a lot of these, you know, online blogs forget about is the estate planning issue as well. Mm-hmm. And is there such a thing as an offline blog? Not sure. Maybe there is. Maybe it's when I'm just talking <laughs> <laughs> at a cafe to someone, just verbal diarrhea. So if we just We'll talk about super and then piss that off. Mm-hmm. So super, 15% tax rate, mm-hmm. um, locked up forevermore, amen, till he's 60 years old, but still the same underlying investment. Right. And by any measure, that will give you the best mathematical answer over a lifetime. Because it's the lowest tax. That's right. And to get it, you've got to give up flexibility and access. And only you can decide whether that flexibility and access problem is worth the tax benefit. The most flexible and potentially the least remunerative is in your own name. And then the investment bond one will depend on your circumstances and what you're trying to achieve and when the money's going to get spent. Okay, so when would you use an investment bond? To my mind, the the biggest benefit of an investment bond is the out of sight, out of mind benefit and the impact it has on things like the family tax benefit. So if I was looking at a um, a dual income couple with one income much lower than the other and they're saving money for their kids' education, investment bonds have the advantage that it, the income on that doesn't affect your entitlement to the family tax benefit. And by income, we say investment returns. Investment returns at least the income component of it. Yeah. Um, and to see why that matters is in an investment bond, the entire income, both unrealised capital gains and realised capital gains and dividends are all taxed at 30%. And you get the result tax-free after 10 years. 
But they reckon, like, so when I had Grant Hackett from Gen yeah. Life on, they reckon the wash up of some of these underlying funds with the franking credits, the tax rate's getting down to around 20%. Is that a long bow to draw? Well, it's probably mathematically correct, but the problem with that is that franking credits are actually cash. So the fact that you've used 10 cents of franking credit that you could have had in cash if your tax rate was lower, to lower your tax rate is a bit of a a, um, a twisting of reality. It's mathematically correct, but a bit misleading. But I think it's important to note that you can't shoot the gun just at the tax target. That's right. You've got to look at the other factors yeah. that you mentioned. Yeah. Out so of sight, yeah. out of mind, family tax benefit. Yeah. Um, and then if you play your cards right, you could actually get that 30% back when you um, cash it in at the end of the day. There's a whole bunch of strategies around this that are missed in a lot of this discussion. So I would say to the people that go, no, investment bonds are really bad. Well, it's like anything that doesn't work in your situation is bad. bad. Yeah. So let's just chill out for 10 seconds and go, well, maybe I need this money set up in an investment bond for a beneficiary. Yep. So if I die, I know that money's going to them. Yep. And and, then, and, it, and it's not available to your creditors. There's a whole bunch of reasons. And that was the other thing as well. I was going to say bankruptcy. Yep. Money in super, protected from bankruptcy. Yep. Investment bond, protected from bankruptcy. Potentially. Yeah. Well, you can't go shoveling money into hide from right, bankruptcy. Yep. They can claw back. But in the main, yep. it's safer than having in your own name. Yeah, absolutely. So it, it's just horses for courses and trade-offs. So to my mind, there are no – well, there are very few bad investments or good investments. There are appropriate and inappropriate investments for your circumstances at the time. But you could say that same statement with the word structure, not investments. Yep. And that's really the only difference between buying Vanguard High Growth in Generation Life or whatever the other one's called and buying direct. Um, fees are slightly higher. I think it's about – 10 basis points. like Which is 0.1 of a percent. 0.1 of a percent. Playing at home. Which yeah, is a dollar in a thousand. Um, so not a lot. And um, there's this tax difference. The tax difference could be positive or negative. I was having a chat with someone online. They're like, I don't use investment bonds. They're too expensive. I'm like, okay, let's just back the truck oh, they up. Used, they used to be. They used to, to be. be. Fair. They, yeah. I mean, I've seen some at like over those, 2%. Those old MLC ones were really expensive. Yeah. Uh, and I wound a heap of the old AMP and the MLC ones up. But, I mean, my one that – because I've got a Vanguard Diversified High Growth Fund in a Generation Life mm-hmm. investment bond. I've got four of them. Mm-hmm. One for me, one for each of the kidlets, niece and nephews. For me to have an investment platform with the tax efficiencies, with the estate planning efficiencies – without needing to do any type of paperwork, Mm. without any of that stuff, for 0.69%, are you freaking kidding me? And the difference between buying it yourself and buying it thing is 0.1. So, really? Are we having this conversation? So, yeah, anyway. So, so the answer, I think, to the question is work out why you're doing it and what matters, and that will tell you the answer. Well... Actually, no. I don't think it's 0.1 because aren't they 0.39? Yeah. 
Isn't it 0.1 plus the underlying? No, it's 0.4. The platform fee for Gen Life is 0.4. One of them. So is it the Ostock or whatever Ostock is called now? No, Ostock is Gen Life. I'm sure it's 0.1. No, their platform fee is 0.4. Well, is it the other one that's 0.1 then? I'm sure one of them is 0.1. Yeah. E- either way. Either like, way, it's small. It's. But I think a lot of people don't cater for the soft dollars. Hmm. So if someone's earning $50 an hour at work or $25 an hour at work, Put it, track your time of preparing your investments through your trading account or through your own name or whatever at tax time and doing all that stuff. If it takes you an hour, that hourly rate, like it's just, it's a yeah. soft cost. I mean, 1% on $1,000 is 10 bucks. Yeah. Are we having this conversation? But to the individual who's got that online website, he would come and- send the, uh, you know, the assassins after me for saying use a platform at point four, But I don't know. I, I just, I like convenience and I'll pay for it. Yeah. Life's too short to do paperwork. Yeah. Amen, Vince. All right. We're going to take a quick break. And sorry, Sasha, if that hasn't helped or whatever, but whatever, we're here now. <laughs> we'll take a quick break and we're going to come back and chat about private health insurance. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. All right, everyone, we're back. Sam Hall asked in the Facebook group, Health insurance for tax purposes. Well, that's a question in itself that we'll mm. get to. Uh, calling all Aubrey Wodongans, Tweed. Is, Kool- that, is that a thing? A well, Wodongan? Oh, it is now. Tweed, Coolangatians, Queenie Van Cambarians. Coolangations. Coolangations. Fifoians, nomads, etc. If you work slash live across different states slash territories, how do you approach health insurance? Very carefully. Very carefully. I'm purely looking to avoid the Medicare levy surcharge, which is 1%. If you earn over $90,000 per year as a single or uh, 180 as a couple. So I want basic hospital cover with zero intention to claim or use the policy. I mean, you can't say that. I mean, I've got zero intention of using my car insurance policy or my contents insurance policy. Uh, I get it because I want the cover. Um, anyway, sorry, Sam, what up? Um, premiums differ due to some states, I would imagine with the stamp duty and the ambulance cover because some states don't charge their citizens to pick you up and throw you in the bus. Yeah. Do you just pick the cheapest state? Now, that sounds fraught with danger unless you're living on the border, like literally one foot in each side of the what river. What would you do, Vince? What would Vince do? WWVD. Um, HG. <laughs> Nelson. The key differences there are around stamp duty and ambulance cover. And some funds don't have authorization to operate in all states. And avoiding stamp duty is a very bad thing. So the key test is where do you live most of the time? So what is your principal place of residence is the test. So if you live in Wodonga, you're in Victoria. If you're in Albury, you're in New South Wales. End of story? End of story in my book. Um, If you 
by living the van life, you might have a bit of a better shot at... Um, what, just using your parents' address or something? Yeah, but then work you... Work address? Yeah, but then you start looking, well, well, if you're living the van life, you might not have a work address. But what's the address on your driver's license? What state is your car registered in? What state issued your driver's license? Question. For me, I would just be um, playing the cards as they fall and doing my residential address that's on my license. Yep, that'd be um, a good start. Because I, the only reason I'm saying that, Vince, is because if I travel to Queensland or Victoria and I needed an ambulance and, you know, one of those states that I was in, I had to pay and whatever. I mean, I think it's going to be not a big deal if the health fund don't pick it up. Probably a bigger deal if you need to stay in hospital for three weeks. Um, Or maybe you need a helicopter when you break your leg skiing in Threadbow. Yeah, but I mean, I, I think the safest rule, well, the safest way that I would do it would just be doing it where my principal place of residence is and playing the cards as they lie. And if it costs more because of the stamp duty, well, and And these are really small differences. But rule number one when it comes to finances is never lie to an insurance company. Yeah. But would you call – so if you did some quotes and you found out that – what did he say? He or her, sorry, I don't know what type of Sam it is. I've asked my current fund, AHM, for advice and they've vaguely said wherever you spend the most time if it's closer to 50-50 or are there any issues picking the cheaper state? I mean, I would probably um, get it in writing from your health fund, mm. whatever you do. Yeah. And just like, can, all right, can you email me that on letterhead that I'm I'm FIFO, I spend 60% of my time in Western Australia, but living in New South Wales, I'm going to do it there. I think that's going to be the best option, isn't it? Yeah. If in doubt, if they won't do it in writing, Maybe find a health fund that will. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, maybe start with the address they're going to send you the bill to. Yeah. So, I, I, I actually, I don't know if we've solved anything there. But but um, I think this is a relatively minor difference it's a nuanced in thing. the scheme of, of life. Hmm. That the difference is dollars a week. So, Vince, if I'm any age, earning over 90 grand or 180 as a couple, <laughs> do I need private health insurance? In short, no. But if you are earning over $90,000 as a single or 180 as a couple, you will pay more tax. 1% more. 1% more tax on your entire income. So going from earning 89999 to earning $90,000 will decrease your take-home pay by 900 bucks unless you do something. Mm. And a basic singles hospital cover, just the amount you need to avoid the levy is $1,200 a year or thereabouts. So for six bucks a week, a net six bucks a week, I take it. Mm. And by the time you get to 100 and something, it's going to be cheaper to have the cover than not have it. Yeah. And you don't. And you might hate insurance companies and not want it and are happy to pay the extra 1%. Awesome. Hmm. Do it. Knock yourself out. I mean, it's so weird. Like, I found there's a couple of subjects you put in the Facebook group Hmm. that really set people off. One of them is private health insurance because it goes into this um, socialist, capitalist mess. Hmm. 
the other topics are like buying multiple properties and all that. It's kind of like all these polarizing subjects. But to something, it doesn't really matter what you think. You've got to play the hand you dealt. You can't wish you were dealt a different hand. Mm-hmm. We can campaign. We can lobby our representatives. We can do all sorts of things about changing the rules. But while the rules are there, you've got to follow the rules. And in this particular case, it is the one form of insurance that will usually leave the average member better off. Um, The reason I say that is the point about insurance is pooling the risk. So take life insurance, for example. We never know when any individual is going to die but we know with great certainty how many out of a population of a few hundred thousands are going to die. And there's a cost of running the pool and the rest of it gets paid out to members. When it comes to health insurance, about 90% of the total premiums get paid out and the government's tipping in 20 or 30% of the premiums. So the average member gets out more than they put in. It's wild, isn't it? It is pretty wild. However, because sick people and old people pay the same price as young healthy people... Um, most of that, better than average, is going to the pockets of the sicker members of community. Now, maybe that's a good thing. And you've got to remember, in Australia, it's not like the UK and it's not like the US. We're sort of between the two. It's a hybrid system. So the government actually pay 30% of your private health premium, effectively. Depending on how much you're in for property, yes. Yeah. The government will also say oh, Vince's has dropped dead on the floor. I know, he's not dead, he's got half a pulse. We'll get the bastard into the hospital. Yeah, you've got to keep a pulse. Yeah, and he'll get treated at no cost because the taxpayers pay for that. We've all heard the amazing experiences of the public health system, change lives and it's awesome and everyone who works in that system, thank you. We've We've heard the outliers of it not working out. But the same in the private system. I know if you were really sick in a private hospital, guess what they're doing? They're calling the ambulance to take you over to the public system. So it is a hybrid system. Private health is a luxury that not everyone can afford. Um, I personally have it uh, because it makes sense financially from a tax point of view. Makes sense. Uh, And also because I've had many surgeries and I'm due to have some more like my right ankle's had numerous operations and I think I need my left ligament and the left ankle reconstructed because I keep spraining it and rolling it. Oh, wow. And then my wrists are getting done next month. So it's a benefit to me because I can just go to the surgeon and go, yep, let's do next Thursday and it's good to go. But if you're in good health and you don't like insurance and it's all good, well, it's all good. But I think with these... With these things, it's all good till it's not. That's right. But when it's not good... Don't whinge if you have a car accident and you total your car and you knew that car insurance was available and you didn't want to pay for it because you lay in the bed you make for yourself. So don't whinge if you hurt your back and you're in critical pain for a year and it's considered elective surgery and because you didn't want to pay for private health insurance, you you can't get in to get it fixed. You know what I mean? Like it's just- that's. Good, Dr. James. Yeah, I don't know. I know I'm a bit ranty, Vince, but I think it really doesn't bother me what anyone chooses to do, but it bothers me when people whinge about their decisions Mm -hmm. when they've 
actively chosen that decision yeah. by I mean, actively choosing not to take the cover or actively choosing to not do something or to do something. Yeah. Nobody's forcing you to go one way or the other. There's a stick and a carrot and it's up to you whether you eat the carrot or get beaten by the stick. Exactly. Uh, but it's all good. I mean, there's things in my life where the logic might seem weird and that, but I've made the call. Well, like I... I haven't made the call, and everyone will probably hate me for this, but I made the call to have the AstraZeneca vaccination. So did I. Because I made the call that I'm comfortable with the 0.003% chance of having a clot. Mm-hmm. And if I do get a clot, I'm comfortable with the 0.004% chance or whatever it is of dying from it. So, But if I get a clot next Tuesday, I'm not going to be here whinging. No, because you'll be in hospital getting your clots fixed. That's right. <laughs> and I don't think they let you podcast from a hospital bed. No, well, the, the, private is, or the, the problem is the, the microchips in my bloodstream are messing up with podcast equipment, Vince. Mm. Well, at least we can do a 5G podcast now. Exactly. So, but I've had mine. Yeah, but you're, you're, you're a few years my senior. Uh, this is true. Um, I don't know. Like, I don't want to talk about vaccines because I'll get all the hate mail in the world. Uh, people already told me. Don't keep my um, social comments to myself. <gasps> the problem is, when Glenn James has a microphone, guess who you get? Glenn James? Yes. Correct. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Anyway. <laughs> oh, I love it. Well, Vince, we might leave it there. We might book in for another campfire chat. Oh, look forward to those marshmallows. Because I want to go deep on deep. crypto. <gasps> I want to go deep on gold. Ooh. And I love those digital beanie babies. Mm. Got to get me some. All that stuff. So thanks, everyone, for the chat. See you, Vince. You can go to lifeshopper.com.au uh, if you want some um, some financial help from... Help is what we do. Help is what we do. So Vince runs an online financial advice business called LifeShopper. Check it out. It's a handful of people that work there, and uh, it's good times. All right. Ta-ta. Ta-ta for now. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respect to their elders past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports A21, a charity focused on abolishing slavery and human trafficking all over the world. Check out a21.org.au for more info. If you would like some other giving options or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to thelifeyoucansave.org.au. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289.